Good morning. We're reading from uh, Luke 18, verse 35 to 19.10. As, Je as Jesus approached Jer Jericho, a bland, blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. You should have an outline. And we are back in Luke. So we're going to do two weeks in Luke, and then we're going to take a break again um, for the holidays. So we'll look at something else during the holidays, and we'll be back in Luke when the term starts again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you, as we reflect on your relationships with people, that we will really get to know you and know who you are, and therefore come and ask you for that which we cannot do for ourselves. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So before I get going, I want you just to uh, take out your cell phone. All right, take out your cell phone, please. All right, switch it on. And put it on selfie. If you don't have one of those, sit next to somebody who does. All right. Okay. And don't take a picture. Just switch it off and keep it in that mode, and we'll come back to that. All right. Now I've got your attention, you see. You've got to come up with all sorts of things to get people's attention these days. We'll come back to that. All right. So leave it at that mode and switch it off or whatever, black it out or whatever it is you do. All right. We are in Luke. So we just quick recap. This last little section running from chapter 17 
to chapter 19 is the Jesus' last couple of steps on his way to Jerusalem. The next section, Jesus will enter into Jerusalem. He's been doing that ever since chapter 9. Uh, so Luke has structured Luke's gospel that Jesus is on his way to die. He's on his way to heaven via Jerusalem. And he's been telling us all sorts of interesting things about the kingdom and about God's rule. Because Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here with me. And everybody who kind of understands that will join it. And so we've been following it. So this is the last little bit, literally. Two talk, more talks, and then we are into Jerusalem. And then we will see uh, how people respond and eventually reject Jesus and eventually kill him. Uh, that's where the whole storyline is going, and we all know that. Uh, here in this section, Jesus is preparing the disciples for a little bit of a shock. He's saying, I've come, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, but the kingdom will not come in its fullness now. I'm going to die and I'm going to go away and life is going to carry on very much as is. Um, life is going to be unfair. Life is going to be unjust. Life is going to be tough. So be prepared that the kingdom will not come immediately with my dying and my resurrection. You have to now live with that understanding of who I am while you wait for me to come again. So he's been kind of setting up these disciples, preparing them so that they are not shocked when things does not turn out the way that they wanted to. And so we see in this section one of the great dangers of the Christian faith is, is that people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and what they're really coming to is not Jesus but the kingdom. They have an idea in their head that life is not so good and if you go to the guy with the most authority, he will give you the good life. That's the kind of background to this section. So Jesus is saying, I have come, but the good life is not coming yet. It's now about people recognizing who is the king, who am I, and in that interim, you need to live. So there's going to be lots of prayer, lots of despair, lots of hardship. It's going to be there. Um, and life will go on. And people will live for this world, and people will come and follow me and say they'll follow me, and they'll get sidetracked, and they'll live for the things in this world, and that is how they will destroy themselves. So we've looked at all of that in the first section uh, of this uh, last kind of leg on Jesus' way to Jerusalem. And then we looked at who will actually enter. Who is it that will actually be part of God's kingdom? And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Sean did that. He looked at the idea of children that you need to become like a child, which means you become completely vulnerable. You can only receive it. There's nothing you can do about it. It was highlighted for us by the rich young ruler who comes and says, what can I do, good teacher, to enter eternal life? Uh, so he's thinking there's something he can do to enter it. And then Jesus says, okay, I'll answer a fool according to his folly. If you want to do something, then do the impossible. Give up your entire life and follow me. And uh, if you want to do something, if that's how you think you can get into the kingdom, well, then do the impossible. And everybody says, but this is impossible. And it's exactly right. Because you cannot enter the kingdom by anything you can do or anything you can give up. You can only enter the kingdom through Jesus Christ as the king. So that's really where we're going. And so in one sense, we're still answering that question as we come to this little section that we are looking at this morning. So who can be saved and who can enter the kingdom? So there are two sections, and I've made it into questions. Can a blind beggar 
be saved and enter the kingdom. That's the one person. And the other person is, can a wealthy minister of tax collection, can he enter into the kingdom? So who can enter into the kingdom? Here you have the two most extremes, isn't it? You have a person who's poor and blind, and he sits next to the road. Can he be saved? And can a very rich man who is rich at the expense of other people, can he be saved? So who is it that will be saved? And Luke here helps us to see the wonderful thing is that anyone can be saved. Now let's have a look at how this kind of pans out. So both of these people are saved. And let's have a quick look. So here you have the blind beggar sitting next to the road. Jesus is on his way to Jericho. It's very significant, Jericho. Jericho is the place where Israel entered the promised land and life was going to start. It's at Jericho where people seem to really start to understand something about who Jesus Christ is. This blind man is sitting there. He doesn't know what's going on. He just hears there's a whole commotion of people following uh, on the way to Jerusalem. People are actually starting to go up for the great feasts of Israel. So they tend to kind of gather together and people were walking on the roads and they were singing songs as they were going up to the Day of Atonement. Um, And so they're very excited about all of these things. And this guy says, what the heck is going on? And they tell him that it is Jesus of Nazareth that is coming by in verse 37. But look at verse 38. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So now we are not told where on earth did he get his information from. But here this guy is saying that this Jesus of Nazareth is not Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David, which is another title for the Messiah that we've actually seen Early in chapter 9 already, Jesus has said, I am the Messiah. I am God's anointed one that God has appointed to bring about God's kingdom. And he, I don't know, I don't know how he knows it. And he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the word mercy is a fantastic word in this context. The word mercy literally means, I put it in your outline, it is saying covenant love, covenant loyalty. God, will, will you, Jesus, son of the Messiah, the Messiah, the son of God, will you do what God has always promised he would do, and that is to have covenant mercy, covenant love on me? God has promised in the Old Testament that he will come and show covenant love to people through the Messiah. This guy quite well versed in the scriptures and in his understanding, and he identifies in some or other word way that Jesus is the son of David, and he says to him, have mercy on me. But notice who he's calling to. He's calling to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Very important what he's doing. He's calling to the person of Jesus Christ. In the light of the title that he has, the position that God has appointed him, and he asked him to do something that God has promised he would do through his Messiah. I mean, that's quite a a mouthful, isn't it, that this guy kind of gets right. He cries out to him. And the crowds are very uh, kind and compassionate, like those crowds are. Shut up! You blind beggar. Just sit there in your corner. You do not deserve to be in the company of the king, the Messiah. So just shut up. 
keep your peace. Actually, what they say, it's quite a funny word. Shut up, and they're trying to push him into the corner. Just stay where you are. That's where you belong. You dare not call out here. This is not your place. You are not of the right economic strata. You don't belong here. <laughs> Just sit there in your corner. Humans are fantastically compassionate, isn't it? We are amazing creatures. But he screams out all the more. Actually, the word is there, shrieks. It's, a, it's one of those big words. I'm not going to try and say what it is. It is a word that captures the sound of a crow that makes a sound. So I'm not going to try that. I may either burst your eardrums or uh, I may uh, pull something in the inside. But he is screeching out. He is screaming out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy. Shut up. Jesus, have mercy on me. See, he is not going to keep quiet. He has recognized if there is one person in this life that can help him, it is this man that is now passing by. No matter how much you kick me and punch me and keep me quiet, the more I will scream to him to have mercy on me. Amazing, isn't it? Desperate, you would say. But it's an interesting desperateness, isn't it? It is not a hope so desperateness. It is a, I know who you are. I know why you have come. And I'm asking you to do for the reason why you have come. It's a weird, it's a desperate cry of confidence in who he is. You see how different it is? He's not screaming out there, I hope somebody hears me. He said, I know who you are. You are the son of David. You have come to bring God's mercy. I want that mercy for me, please. So he identifies Jesus, he identifies his mission, and he screams to him on the basis of who he is and what his mission is. See how interesting that is? How vital that is? Then Jesus stops, and he orders the people to bring the man to him. And uh, when he came, our translation is a little bit weak. We say, and when he came, Jesus asked him. Actually, the word is, Jesus interrogated him. I mean... <laughs> Here comes the guy, he's screaming at the top of his lungs like a jolly crow that Jesus must have mercy on him. Jesus says, okay, let's see. What is it that you want? Amazing. Jesus doesn't just kind of, he says, I want to hear what is it that you want. Now, okay, back to normal life, where we are. You go out here and you find some blind people at the robots. I'm not sure if they actually are blind, but okay. I don't know how they dodge all the cars, but okay. And they come to your door and they ask you what? Have any one of them ever asked you to give them sight? Why not? Because they know you can't. Then you could have asked for money. I mean, I would I mean, poor people beggars normally ask for money. Isn't it? So Jesus says, what is it that you want? Who do you think I really am? You've just been saying this, so let's see if it is actually true. Do you believe that I am the Messiah who would have come 
And again, the Old Testament makes that quite clear, that when the Messiah comes, he will give sight to the blind, he will set the captives free, he will actually release people from prison, he will do all of these things. So he says, what do you want? And you're like, from our perspective, we think, Jesus, are you, are you insane? What do you think the guy wants? But Jesus wants to hear from his own mouth, what is it that you want? And he says, I want to see. The word is actually quite interesting. It's a, this d- double play in the language, because the word is not just, I want to see. The word is, I want to be able to look up. It's not just blepo, it's anablepo. I want to be able to look up and see again. Really understand again. So it's a double play there. Physically, yes, I'm blind. But the way that the language works is saying, ha, I want to see. I want to see you. And Jesus says, bam. There it is. Receive your sight. Here is a gift from the Messiah in the mercy of God to you. Have your sight. And more than just giving him his sight, Jesus says to him, and again our translations are a bit weak, your faith has saved you. Not just healed you, saved you. You have shouted out, you've identified me, you've called out for mercy, you've come and asked for it, and I give it. The crowds are around Jesus. They are all about the excitement. It seems like the majority of them have got no idea who this man is that they are accompanying. But this guy does. He immediately receives his sight, and then when he sees, he follows Jesus on the way, praising God. He becomes a disciple. That's the kind of picture, isn't it? Once you truly see Jesus, you will follow him. If you haven't seen him, if you haven't identified him, you would not follow him because you would think he's just another guy who can give nice gifts. But this guy understands. This is the one I'm following. That's been the call all along. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you'll follow him. I mean, that's... If you know who he is and what his mission is, then you will actually, if you receive it, you will follow him. And then the people saw it and they also praised God. And you just kind of think, are they now getting it? Two chapters later, they will crucify, crucify him, crucify him, crucify this man. You can get people who praise God for things and still not know Jesus Christ. Don't understand him, don't call on him, don't seek him, don't follow him as the Messiah. Fantastic little story, isn't it? Jesus says, I am not like other human beings who determine people's relationship with me based on their social standing or their abilities. I am the one who saves people who knows who I am recognizes me as the Messiah on mission to bring mercy to people. That's who I associate with. Amazing, isn't it? Crowd says, you're not good enough, stay away. Jesus says, no. Anyone in that sense can come. Just to drive home the point, the story flips completely over. Inside Jericho, this is outside of Jericho. Inside Jericho, you have Zacchaeus, 
uh, or was that Hilton? Sorry, it's a short man. But that's where the comparisons break down, isn't it? Because Hilton is not a chief tax collector. <laughs> we all know the tax collector jokes by now. If you read the Bible, the tax collectors were the really, really, really terrible people. They were Jewish people that, who worked for the Roman government who was allowed to extract as much tax as they possibly could from people. They had to pay over a certain amount to the government, and anything that they could extract from you more, they could keep for themselves. What makes Zacchaeus a little bit different, he is the mafia man of the tax collectors. So he takes a cut from the cuts that the tax collectors take. So you must know how much people love this man. They've got real love for him and compassion. Almost as much as the beggar who's on the other side of the coin. I don't want to associate with those low, and I really don't want to associate with those who are stinking rich by fraud. Christ doesn't like that either. Christ is still involved. Here comes this guy. He's a man of means, and he makes a plan. He's a schemer, and so he schemes. He runs ahead, jumps into a sycamore tree, because he needs to see Jesus. Very interesting when you look at the words when he, in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Very interesting. The word there for seeing, wanted to see, it's really the word seeking. He was, interestingly enough, interrogating, because that's again what the word means. Seek by inquiring in order to not only see physically, but the word is a slightly different word again, to see with perception. He wanted to know who is Jesus. He seemed to have heard about him a lot. The message has been running around through the entire area. He has been seeking and inquiring and wondering. And, and so when he hears Jesus coming, he says, Ha! Now I'm going to be able to see him. So this guy has been seeking the truth around Jesus Christ. We don't know how long, but that's what the language is telling us. Now, he says, I've got a chance to see him, but I'm a bit short. And everybody's crowding. There's crowds around Jesus again. And I can't get close. So he runs and he gets into a sycamore fig tree, which has got a nice fat stem, short and branches, so it's easy for a short man to get in. And he's just a little bit higher than what he normally is. So he's making a plan, and the plan seems to be pulled off. Because when Jesus, verse 5, reaches the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, earlier in our readings, Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must be handed over. I must be rejected. I must be killed. Same word. I must come to your house. Jesus initiates the connection. He wants to. Zacchaeus wants to. He's seeking. But Jesus initiates it. Here Jesus goes to a rich, stinking, filthy, selfish, rich man. And the crowd, the seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. Jesus is not who you think he is. He is not like you or me. See, he does not look on the outside to determine people's worth. Interesting, isn't it? 
Jesus is a very uncomfortable man to hang around. When you think you've got him worked out, he goes the opposite. Yeah, he's just been hanging out with a blind beggar. Now he goes to a sinner, a really wicked man. And he says, I must come to you. I want you to receive me into your house. I want to eat with you. Which in our culture means nothing. In their culture, it literally means we are going to have fellowship together. This is massive in their culture to invite somebody into your home. Jesus says, I want to be, I must come to you. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus seeks out the people you would never, ever, ever, ever think should be in. We don't know what the debate is, which is interesting. The story doesn't tell us what Jesus says while he's there. All we get is, is Zacchaeus' reaction. Now listen to this reaction very carefully. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back 400% the amount. Have you noticed what he says? This is a public meeting. Just like the beggar publicly screamed out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kind of embarrassing. Well, I guess not if you're poor and have nothing to lose. Right? Poor people who've got nothing to lose, they can make a fool of themselves because they've got nothing to lose. Opposite end of the spectrum, the rich. Here the guy stands up in public and he says to Jesus, you are Lord. And the crowd is right about me. I am a sinner. I will make restitution for all the sins that I have committed. Something miraculous must have happened in that meal. For someone to stand up in public and to say people have just now slammed me rightfully, this is what I will do. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came to my house to seek me out, this is what I will do. I will show an un- that I have changed because of that encounter. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but we don't need to know. He stands up and he says to everybody, Yes, it's true. Lord, I am a sinner. I'll give away 50% of all my possessions to the poor, and anybody that I've defrauded, I'll pay back 400%. Do you think that's an indication that something has changed? You may think in your heart, you know, I play this game even now and again. Even now and again, I, I imagine I'm going to win the lottery even though I don't play it. And then I think, what am I going to do with all that money? If I win 50 million, 20 million, what am I going to do with that money? And then I start to think about, you know, how generous I would be. I would give to that people and that people and that people and keep a little bit for myself, you know, and hand it all out. Anna, do you do that? Are you as silly as me? But you know what? If you really want to test me, put that 50 million into my hands. And then you see what I will do with it. Are you like me? I think these wonderful thoughts about my generosity. I doubt it. I know myself too well. I will eventually do it. I will invest it so that I can eventually give it. I mean, I don't, I'll think of something. This guy speaks in public 
Just think about people. He's in public. And he says, Lord Jesus, 50%. To the poor. 400% payback. This is Jesus' verdict. Verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man has come to understand that you are saved by faith in God's generosity alone. Therefore, you do not need your own anymore. This is a man of faith. Something miraculous happened right here, says Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? See, he's so different from the rich man, the young ruler who came and said, what must I do to have eternal life? I mean, I I know, you know, I'm, 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 I'm successful. I normally get what I set my mind to. I can do what I want to do. My money is a proof that I'm a man that knows how to do things. I can even recognize that you're good. You know how good I am to recognize how good you are. And since we are so good, we can maybe work out what I could do to be saved. Jesus said, okay, let's go down that road. Give away everything. So Jesus does not say to you, give away everything. He's saying to you, do you know him? Because then it's not very difficult to give away anything. See how weird it is? Jesus never demands of people in general to give away everything. He didn't demand this of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stands up and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm free from the need that... I, maybe it's a, he's got a short man syndrome, isn't it? Short man, big money, you know? Shrek is compensating for something. Lord Farquhar. You remember that? Maybe that was his problem. He was a short man. He wanted to compensate. He wanted to be big. But when he discovered Jesus Christ, he says, none of that stuff actually is who I am and matters. And he makes right where he's gone wrong. That's one of the clear signs that somebody's really changed, isn't it? That I will admit where I have been wrong. I will not only admit it, I will go and make right. That's a sign that something radically has changed in you. You're not only saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You say, I am going to make right where I was wrong. Restitution, it's called. Something radical happened here, isn't it? It's amazing. It's fantastic, isn't it? Jesus Christ has the ability to change the lowest of the low socially and the highest of the high socially. And he says, come. When you bump into me and you get to know me, everything changes. Incredible little picture, isn't it? And here in verse 10, we find the reason why Jesus must go to Zacchaeus' house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. While Zacchaeus was seeking to figure out who Jesus was, Jesus has been seeking the lost his entire mission. Inquiring who will admit that they lost? And actually the word lost is a bit, sorry, I'm, I'm not knocking in the translations, but I am, I'm sorry. The word lost there is weak. You know what the word really means? Ruined. Perishing. That means not fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. Jesus Christ came into this world to seek Those who are not fulfilling the purpose for which they were designed. Isn't that good news? 
perishing. Ruined, literally it means. You are ruined and you're going to stay ruined. It's actually in the perfect tense. It makes it a little bit worse. No human being can by himself come out of his position of being ruined. Jesus Christ came to seek and inquire who is there that will able to see their ruinedness and see who he is and come to him and declare him to be the one who can save you from that ruin. See what is going on here? You think you may be seeking God. He's actually seeking you. He's trying to inquire. Do you understand that you are not what you're supposed to be? And do you know you can never, ever get out of it? I have come to save you from that situation. That's what I've come. That's who I am. I am God's Messiah. Amazing, isn't it? So two little very simple things. So here's is now where we are going to get closer. So the next last question. Who may enter the kingdom of God now then? Who may be saved and enter the kingdom now? And on your outline I put there, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, very familiar passage, meaning everyone who knows Jesus is Lord and calls on him will be saved. Everyone who knows that Jesus is Lord. Now, just in your Bible, flip back quickly. Verse 31 to verse 34, Jesus tells us that he's coming to Jerusalem because he must die and rise again. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he proves that he is the Lord. He's not done that in this context yet, and yet these people recognize him. Everyone who declares that Jesus is Lord because he has died for sin and rose to life will be saved. Because the two, as I call them, the two little problems every one of us face is sin and death. You can never stop sinning by yourself. And you will die and deteriorate and end up in hell. But there's one person who has come to deal with that. With your sin, he died on the cross. And then he was risen so that you will not be ruined and stay there, but have life. Everyone that acknowledges that I cannot stop doing the very wrong that I know I shouldn't do, and that the result of that is death and ruin, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and call on him, I recognize you alone, our Lord, and have dealt with sin and death, will be saved. Amazing, isn't it? Good news. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who, who are ruined. Who can be saved? Anyone who realizes that they are ruined. And that they have absolutely nothing they can bring in their hands. To try and convince God that they are cute or nice or beautiful or going to get better tomorrow or whatever the heck is we do with God. And say, I must have you, Lord Jesus as my Lord. Amazing, isn't it? Do you realize what an incredible message that is for yourself and for the world? 
Every single human being is trying to get a world where it will not be ruined. And sin ruins every jolly single thing. There is no way you will escape that any other way than through Jesus Christ. Here's the message. Amazing message. Jesus, come. Acknowledge me. So we're going to come to the Lord's table. I mean, isn't that amazing? I didn't, I didn't work this out. It just worked out like this. So this is where your cell phone comes in. All right. Now, how do you know that you believe what I've just said? So I want you to take your cell phone and look at your own eyes and say, I believe Jesus Christ, you have died for my sin and you have been resurrected for my life. And see if you can convince yourself by looking at your own eyes. Because I'm not here to force you. I'm not here to make you feel ashamed. None of that stuff. But you can say the words without your heart actually believing it. We all know that. So here's a way of helping yourself. That's why you must do it your own cell phone, okay? Or if you got to just pass it on quickly. But really, do it. Look at your own face and you ask yourself, does that eyes tell you that you actually believe that without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are ruined? Take a minute and do it. Then maybe you will know this morning if you know that you are saved. And then we'll do communion. But take a second. See if you can convince your own eyes. So other people can look into your eyes and it doesn't always look convincing, does it? Can you convince yourself that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you and he's your only hope? And he's your all of your hope on both sides. He's the only one who can save me and he saved all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son into this world to save sinners. Those who are ruined in themselves and who ruin those around. We thank you for the Son. We pray that as we reflect on the wonder of this, we will also hold out this incredible person to everybody else we know. For we have heard this morning again and again and again, it is those who actually talk to Jesus himself saying, Lord, I believe you are my Lord, for you have died for me and you have risen for me. We therefore pray that as we look at this, our own faces in the mirror in one sense, Lord, we pray that we may help others to do the same. Not so that we will shame them or kind of get a one man up on them, but to help them to realize whether they actually believe it or not. For these crowds around Jesus who were even praising you demanded your death and rejected you in their thousands. Oh Lord, how easy it is for us to be religious, to know stuff, and yet we don't actually believe. So we ask you, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And we want to thank you, Jesus, son of David, for the mercy you've had on us. 
And we pray, Jesus, Son of David, that you will have mercy on everyone else. And that we, Jesus, Son of David, will extend the mercy of Jesus Christ to everybody else. And that that would be our song, and that would be our hope, and that would be our joy, and that would be our message to the world. That Jesus, the Son of David, has come into this world to seek and to save those who are ruined. To you indeed belong glory and praise, and we want to declare your death until you come again, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.